unscripted. Each episode is available to view on YouTube, so be sure to check us out. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. And that night, I wasn't praying. I wasn't making any spectacular effort to communicate with God, but I was quiet and still. And uh, I sat there for I don't know how long. And then very kind of in a moment, I thought, well, intellectually in my mind and in my heart, in a peaceful way, I'm like, oh, I really, I really think that these big claims that are made uh, by these people are true. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Saints Unscripted. Uh, we are here with our very special guest, Stephen Kenny, all the way from Ireland. I live here now, but you live from here Ireland. now, right? <laughs> but you, at one point, you from yeah, Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and you're here to to share a bit of your conversion story. Sure, it's not really. How prevalent is the church out in Ireland? It's quite small. So uh, the population of the country is about five and a half million people, and I would say there's about. 2,000 members of the church, probably a third of them active. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize, one, that Ireland was that small, two, that there were that few members of the church. Ireland is a little small. It's a third the size of Utah. There's a few more people. But, uh, wow. yeah, the church is small. A lot of people have emigrated, go to England or here. Yeah. So I'm here. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you're, you're not for, helping uh, the population. No, no, there. <laughs> thank you for uh, oh stereotypes. Uh, let's see who's. Uh, I gave up drinking years ago. <laughs> <laughs> guy from Three Hundred is he Irish? No, he's English, isn't he? Gerald Butler is that Gerard what Butler? Yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to hype up Ireland here, but I can't think of any. Flogging Molly. Flogging like, Molly. I there love you the go. Music. The, <laughs> Irish music it's, uh, is. Irish you American have Irish stuff. heritage, right? No. Not that I know. You just really? like it. I just really I've love. seen your videos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> Do you ever take any of those ancestry DNA tests? I haven't. I'm know. curious about them, though. So I took one, and it was a waste of $100. Really? Because it, it said 100%. <laughs> it really did. It really does. So um, yeah, that's awesome. St. Patrick's Day, is that a thing in Ireland? It really is. Yeah, really? that's the national holiday. That's okay. uh it's our big one. It's like July 4th over here. Do they celebrate it the same way as we do? Well, yes, yes. And we do parades. Every little town and village will have a, a parade, you know, marching band and floats and hmm. comedy things and things like that. Oh, fun. Where did you come in contact with the church or how did you come in contact with the church? Yeah, gosh, long story. But it was when I was 18. Um, it was kind of the thing to do in Ireland. Uh, young guys and girls uh, between semesters of college or in the summer would go to France or Germany and work for a summer. So, so I did with my cousin and some of his friends. We went to Germany and we worked in an Audi plant uh, together, putting cars together. So uh, I used to joke, if you ever buy an Audi from 1999, be very careful with the driver's side because <laughs> I, I put him in, but no one's going to buy a car that old now. But, so we worked in this factory over the summer and, um, and we had an apartment. This little town, Ingolstadt in Germany, where Audi has their big plant. And uh, one of the guys was a bunch of Irish guys and a couple of girls. Well, one of the guys that I worked with was from Colorado. And he's still a very good friend of mine to this day, years later. And uh, we worked together and um, we weren't as much party guys as the rest of them. We were a little quieter. And, and so we went off and got our own little apartment and we hit it off. He was a really nice guy. And he never, ever mentioned it, but he was a member of the church and uh, just wasn't active uh, then. And... But he knew that I was very interested in religion. I had a little Bible that I still have 
right now, a little Gideon's New Testament that a man in London gave to me. I'd been living and studying in London. When I was 17, I studied engineering there, and he gave me that, and I was reading it, and it fascinated me, and I was very interested in meaning of life, and why are we here, and why is there a universe, and all this stuff. But anyway, he and I, at the end of the summer, when we were done working in the factory, we traveled around uh, southern Germany, and we were in Austria, and uh, we were in Salzburg, where the Sound of Music, you know, was made, Mozart's from there, and beautiful place, and um, he saw a couple of missionaries uh, on the street and um, he went over to them and I, I didn't. When he came back to me, he had a copy of the Book of Mormon in English and he handed it to me and he said, uh, there you go, that's your kind of thing, you should read that. I said, well, what is it? And he's like, ah, don't want to talk about it. Just, you know, <laughs> that you, is the you, you'll best find it interesting. approach yeah. I've ever turned yeah, yeah. Why didn't I do that as a missionary more often? Just like knock on a door. This is your kind of thing. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Don't ask questions. <laughs> See you later. You should read this. No, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so he gave it to me, and uh, he didn't want to talk about it too much, but he's a great guy, and we're, we're still great friends. We still talk talk a lot. And he gave it to me, and I, uh, I had read lots of books at that time. Um, my teenage years, for some reason, I got very interested in the meaning of life and why we're here. And I was raised Catholic in Ireland, and everyone I had ever known as a little child was Catholic and white Irish and a very homogenous society. And it wasn't until I went to London when I was 17 to study that everybody from everywhere in the world, every kind of religion or philosophy or everything was there. My uh, best buddy in London at the time when I was in college, a devout Muslim guy, Sohil, and uh, I used to have you know dinner on Friday nights with him and his family, and very interesting people, very good, clean living. I met different, all every variety of Christianity. Atheists were very interesting to me for a while. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I started learning a lot about all of that, and that was my first contact um, then, the, the summer after that, when I went to Germany and was gifted this book. So we... the church is so small in Ireland, you had to leave Ireland to come in contact with it. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> I think I had heard the word Mormon before or something. I just thought, oh, what are they, Mennonites or Amish or something. <laughs> it's just another American Classic. church, you know. Yeah. But, uh, so where do we go from there? You you have a Book of Mormon now. You yeah. started reading it, I That's assume. Right. Yep, started and reading it. what happened? Well, I started, so I had read other things. I'd been reading the Bible. I'd read the Quran and the Gita and uh, different different things. And I met with people from different religions. I was meeting with um, Catholic priests in Ireland, these Jesuit missionaries who had spent their lives in northern Nigeria and the Philippines and places like that. And, and what they did was interesting to me. It appealed to me. They were uh, they dedicated their lives to, to God. Um, and they spent their time teaching the gospel as they understood it. And running clinics and schools and things like that, humanitarian, it's a humanitarian life. And that was fascinating to me. And I thought, well, if we're only here one time on earth, you know, no one knows if we're coming back or why not? Why not try to figure this out? You know? And so it became very interesting. And I was very normal. I was into football and girls and all the normal stuff. You football, know. what? Oh, real football, like the, where with you actually the, use your foot. The ball, like, yeah, just, okay. Yeah, um, <laughs> soccer. Wow, just yeah. that, like, you know, side punch real to, football. to the United States. Great. No, no, no. I, I love my adopted country. I, sure. I like where I am now. <laughs> so this was, uh, for years, I had, you know, been interacting with these priests and uh, met with them um, in school, actually. So the school I went to was a Christian brother school. It was an all-boys, so the high school, secondary school. 
and uh, nominally run by the church, but it was a public school. And every year or so, like these missionaries, Catholic missionaries, older men I'm talking about, would come in and speak to all the boys about what they did. And they would ask us then if anyone was feeling the call from God to be a missionary, to dedicate their lives to, to the faith. And one of the years I was feeling something. I put my hand up and I went up and spoke with them afterwards. And then we met extensively after that. I would get time out of some classes and um, to go meet with them and spend time with them. And they were convinced um, that I was, that I had received this call from God to, to be a priest and to be a missionary. But something held me back. And, uh, you know, at the time I thought I was just teenage confusion or something like that. And uh, I used to work in a restaurant in the evenings and on weekends, uh, a place called Mother Hubbard's. And a lot of the kids, teenagers used to work there. And I was on the till taking people's money. And one day this uh, older priest that I didn't know, just some Catholic priest, came up to pay for his dinner. I took his money and then nobody was around. So I said, hey, can I ask you a question? You know, he said, oh, of course. I said, I've been meeting with priests for quite a while, you know, and I wasn't even telling my family this, you know, it's just privately I was doing this. And I said, um, they're sure that, that God wants me to be a missionary and to go and dedicate my life to this. But I feel like I do want to do that. I would love to. I think it's an honorable, good life, you know, to be humanitarian and go help people and teach people the good news, you know. And I feel like maybe God's telling me to wait or something, but it's okay to go, right? Yeah, I just want him to validate, you know. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, no, no. He was a bit wiser than I was, obviously. And he said, no, just wait. God will show you what you should do. And I was a little disappointed. I wanted someone else to make my decision for me. You know, we'd want to do that sometimes, but... Yeah. But um, I'm glad he said that it was wise. And so then um, life continued. I went to Germany, as I said. I came across this book. And in England, I had heard all sorts of different versions of the meaning of life and why we're here and different religions and no religion and all that sort of stuff. And so I started reading, you know, the Book of Mormon. And in my experiences with all these other churches and religions and faiths, I almost always I thought, you know what, these are good people. These are really nice people. And gosh, that's certainly true that they, that element of what they teach and they live well and this, that, and the other. But most of the time it, I don't know, it didn't quite grab me. It didn't quite feel like it was more than a good thing, mm. you know, and a good thing is great. You uh, saw the good in it, but yeah, you weren't exactly. dedicated to it. Right, right. There was it's just questions left unanswered, you know, mm. but anyhow, I, when I started reading the book of Mormon, I felt something quite special in the, in the new Testament when I read it. And I remember, uh, still to this day, I'm a little, you know, when you hear a tall tale and you hear a big story, I like to ask questions and, uh, you know, we shouldn't believe everything we hear, of course. And I was that way as a child, you know, and I'll probably mentioned earlier before we got on the camera, there's a story that you'd read that I told and I might share some of that if that's okay. I like it. All right. Okay, yeah, okay, so, right. well, yeah. just for some context here, he's told his story in... Uh, other places like in Meridian Magazine, for instance. So I've I've read a little bit about it okay. there. All right. So um, I like it. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things that got me, I suppose, interested in uh, faith and the meaning of life and all that was when I was very young. So in school in Ireland, especially in primary school, which is elementary school, they uh, we've got a really good standard of education in Ireland, like I I think. But part of the education is not just you know, all the factual things, but it's cultural history, uh, mythology, and the ancient stories and things like that. And also Catholic education. So Catholic theology was taught as religion in our public schools, like in uh, primary schools and secondary schools. And so that's sort of how you were raised. And I grew up in the countryside and 
had zero exposure to people of other faiths, um, anything like that. Actually, my first ever exposure to someone of another faith, I was probably about 10 years old. Every single person in the school was uh, white Irish Catholic, right? And then one day, um, these two twin brothers uh, moved into the area or came, started coming to our school. And it was time for a religion class. And the teacher uh, said, okay, uh, Andrew and Adrian, you can, uh, you can leave the room. What is going on here? I remember as a little boy being kind of bewildered. And they went outside and it, I remember it still. It's a beautiful sunny day and they were kicking football around. Mm. And uh, we were all in there reciting prayers and things that children find boring, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I could think about nothing else but like, how how did this happen? How did they, outside, you know? how did they get out of here? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> and then anyway, when uh, class was up or a break time, all the boys huddled together and we were like, okay, well, what was that about? And someone said, oh, they're Protestants. They're not Catholic. And we all speculated about what Protestants believed, and we had no idea, you know. But we all wanted to be Protestants because, well, I remember <laughs> you having to play that football. Fun. Yeah, you get to, get to get out of class and play football. But anyhow, so I uh, fast forward. Um, one of the th things in class, as I mentioned, that they uh, would teach us were some of the old Irish myths and legends and stories and things. And we heard a thousand of them, you know, and uh, and they were always presented in a serious way, like, hey, this is legend, and there are these uh, famous heroes and stories, and Phil Cool and Oshin, and all these different people, and Cucullin, and there's all these fantastical stories that go along with them. We always understood, well, this is, most of this is made up stuff, you know, but important for teaching the culture. And one of the stories that I was told, and I don't remember many of them, uh, but I remember one of them quite clearly, was about uh, an ancient king in Ireland called Conor McNessa. And he was quite famous, and there's all sorts of fantastical stories that go along with him that obviously couldn't have happened. But one of them that we were told as little kids was that he lived about 2,000 years ago, uh, contemporary with Christ uh, or thereabouts, and uh, that he had lived a kind of riotous life. You know, it was a violent time. There's a lot of conflict between these different kingdoms in Ireland and what have you. And then one day he was injured in battle, and uh, he had this arrowhead stuck in his head. And uh, he was quite seriously injured, but had, you know, won this battle that brought peace to the island. And his doctors and his, his people um, advised him that, hey, if you retire and um, take it easy and give up drinking and horse riding and all these other things that you do, that uh, you should be okay and you can live into old age. But you gotta, you gotta slow things down. So he did. And there were seven years of peace and prosperity, and he spent his time judging between disputes, you know, between people in his kingdom. And then one day, according to the story I heard as a nine-year-old, maybe, in Ireland, um, there was this huge storm. Trees were being knocked over and houses blown down and the sky went dark in the middle of the day. There was lightning and an earthquake and all kinds of things. And this is very unusual. Like the nearest tectonic plate boundary to Ireland is Iceland or Italy. It's hundreds and hundreds of miles away. So this kind of stuff is extremely rare. And so everyone was very perturbed as the story goes. And the king was very distraught about this. And there's a couple of different versions of the story, but the gist of it is that he called his people together and told them, hey, the reason all this stuff is happening is that the god of nature has just died. You know, so the reason the sky went dark and lightning and an earthquake and all this, the god of nature just died. And then his chief druid told him that, well, this was the son of God, the creator of the universe died, he was killed by wicked men in a land far away in the east. And the king was so worked up by this that, you know, he, he then passed away and died. And so we were told this story. And I remember our teacher telling us uh, 
that, you know, they used the term God of nature because this was pre-Christian times. They didn't know Jesus was the name of it, you know. And, uh, but that God speaks to all good people in the world. Every human being that's ever lived, regardless of where, what continent, and when, is a son or a daughter of God. And they told us that. And I remember as a little kid thinking, oh, sure, you know, <laughs> okay, you know, that was a story that existed. And then you Christianize it after the event to make Christianity look a little better, you know. But fast forward 10 years or so, and my friend had given me this copy of the Book of Mormon. I started reading it and I was flipping chapters in the beginning. And and my feeling was, oh, this feels like the New Testament. I kind of, I like it. It's a big claim, you know, where this came from. But so far, don't disagree with anything, you know. And then I got to First Nephi chapter 19. In there, it basically almost retells word for word the story that I heard 10 years before as a child in Ireland. And it talks about, this is Nephi prophesying of the future, you know, 600 BC. He was prophesying of the coming of Christ and the death uh, of Jesus on the cross. And he spoke specifically about, in chapter 19, uh, many of the kings of the isles of the sea shall be wrought upon by the Spirit of God to exclaim that the God of nature suffers. So it wasn't just generally the story. It was like, almost, this is really interesting. Wow. And that to me wasn't any kind of proof that this was, uh, maybe Joseph Smith had some Irish friends somehow, I don't know, and had heard this story. And anything's possible that way, but it made it very, very interesting to me. It definitely yeah. catches your attention. Absolutely. There's a scripture in the Book of Mormon where it talks about God speaking to all peoples in their own language and according to their own understanding. And I don't think that just means in English or Chinese or German or whatever. It means I have a way of learning and you have a way of learning. Mm-hmm. And that God will speak to us in ways that we understand, in ways that, you know, and we'll have spiritual experiences in ways that we understand. And I think that one of them for me that made this very interesting to me, this faith in this book, was uh, was that story that I'd heard as a little child. I thought, okay, it could be an enormous coincidence. It could be that 200 years ago, this farm boy in upstate New York knew this obscure Irish story and worked it into his work of fiction. But I thought, oh, that's, that's hard to swallow. I just, it made it very interesting to me. I thought, wow, okay, that rings a big bell. And this is worth investigating. It's worth looking into. And uh, so that's really what caught my attention with it. Um, I don't know if that yeah, that's a long way to answer your question. But, uh, that was great. Super interesting. Yeah. Okay. So the Book of Mormon has captured your attention sure. at this point in your yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. What happens next? Okay. Yeah. So I started <laughs> reading going. it and I was reading all these other books and interested in all of that. And I went back to England and I, I was living there. Then my friend from Colorado, he's since back in Colorado, he said, well, you know, if you, if you want an adventure, why don't you come to Colorado? Come work with me and we'll live together. We'll have some fun and we'll go hike and ski and we'll, we'll do all this other stuff. And I said, oh, it sounded great. It sounded like a, an adventure. So I went. This is your less active. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. exactly. He's a great guy. And um, so I went over there and we lived together for a little bit and he ended up getting married at the time. And I'm like, oh, so, so I moved in <laughs> with his family who were very active in the church and who are great friends of mine to this day. So his stepfather baptized me um, a couple of years after that. So anyway, I moved in with them and they would go to church. And at the time I was you know, on a Sunday, I'd go to a Catholic mass or there was a Bible chapel there in Western Colorado that I would go to as well and go to Bible studies. And I was just sort of spending time with different people. And it was all very interesting to me. And I had questions for everybody. And uh, I remember one day I asked, you know, the family that I was staying with, 
could I go to mass with them someday? And they smiled and said, sure, you can come to church. You know, it was a different lingo, you know? So I would, and I had a thousand questions for them. It was really interesting. I like, well, it's so you have this concept of temples and 12 apostles. And then I'd read in the New Testament, I read in Acts where after the death and resurrection, after the establishment of Christianity, so the apostles would meet daily in the temple. Why was that an important place for them? You know, why would they go there if it wasn't just bricks and mortar, you know? There aren't supposed to be any temples after Christ. That's right. Our body right. is the temple of God, which yeah. it is, you know, and it means different things. Yeah. yeah. And then Christ himself, like Jesus, referred to this place as his father's house. You know, like, okay, well, if it was just a worldly creation, then why, why would he say that? You know, so that was interesting to me that the early Christians were doing some things that I didn't quite see in my own faith that I respected. And I'm very grateful for the experience I had as a Catholic. I was an altar boy, you know, and, and I always believed in God. But I just wondered, well, why don't we have apostles anymore? What, what happened to them? And, and in, in the New Testament, it talks about what happened to them when there were 11 after the death, death and resurrection of Christ. They went and uh, prayed and God showed them who, who the 12th should be again. It kind of seemed like that was the way it was meant to perpetuate itself and, and to stay. And so I, I would notice things like that, that. Oh, gosh, well, I'm seeing a lot of the things that intellectually they made sense. I'm like, well, I would expect, you know, the early Christian church had that. I would love it if... We still know, did. The contemporary Christian church had that. And and so that was very interesting to me. I'm like, mm, they have a lot of the trappings of, you know, and things like baptism for the dead. It is talked about by Paul in the New Testament. And it's just quite mysterious to everybody else. Or most other churches don't really have an interpretation of it. There's like, mm, the early Christians did this. We don't really know why. And I love that we, we have that understanding or that concept. And so all of that was intellectually interesting to me. And I had a lot of questions for them. They said, do you want to meet with the missionaries? I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm happy talking to you guys. You know, so I keep it relaxed. And then I went from there home to Ireland. And I remember uh, being on the street in Dublin. I worked as a care worker for people with autism at the time. And I had my day off. It was a Wednesday. It might even have been a Tuesday, you know. And uh, you know, people criticize Joseph Smith sometimes for not knowing <laughs> the exact date that he had this first vision. I don't remember the exact date that I met these missionaries, but it was a life-changing thing for me. And uh, so I was on the street in Dublin on O'Connell Street, and I saw a missionary like 100 meters ahead of me. And he was asking everyone, have you ever heard of the Book of Mormon? Of the Book of Mormon? It was, a, you know, people were ignoring him. It was Ireland and, and <laughs> politely, I hope. And, it's like a scene out of the best two years. Yeah. Here he comes. He's coming this way. Oh, here goes. I've never seen that actually. I've seen Mormon <laughs> media. But anyway, I thought, I'm going to talk to this guy. I like these people. And I am not afraid of anybody. I'm not intimidated by anyone's message. And I'm interested in what people have to say. Like, what have we got to worry about? You know? So I went up to him and he said, Have you ever heard of the book of Mormon? I said, I have. Pulled it out of my pocket. I was reading it at the time, you know. Oh yeah. I'm like, this, right? And he's like, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then he passed he was, out. Then he like <laughs> he revived him. He didn't know it. He uh um he said, wow, and so we chit-chat. He's like, how do you have this? I'm like, well, I know these people in Colorado, these great people, and they gave it to me as a parting gift. You know, I've been, I've been reading it. And so they gave me one, and I had the one from Germany, too. So anyway, he asked, well, do you, would you like to come to church? And I said, oh, where is it? He described where it was near Glasnevin Cemetery in North Dublin. And I said, okay, what time? 11 o'clock, all right. Well, I'll, I'll see you there. Okay, bye. And he didn't get my phone number or my address or it, it turned out. Rookie mistake. Yeah, but very rookie because it was his very first day in the country. Like, oh! Yeah, the, pl the plane had that landed that morning. 
And uh, he's a great guy. His companion and, just uh, threw him into the fire. Yeah, I think they, they did that. I was a missionary then later in Germany. So after I joined the church, I was converted and baptized. You know, years before, I had felt this, God wants me to be a missionary, but something had held me back. And this was the way that it could happen. So I went and spent two years in Germany sharing the message of the gospel. I was so glad that young people took the time out of their lives. They could have been in college or making money or who knows what they, and they took time to come to Ireland. And they were a part of something that changed my life forever. And I wanted to return that and then share the good news of the gospel with people. So I did that in Germany afterwards, but it was his first day. And he had gotten off the plane that morning and um, uh, maybe you guys have served missions, but they tend to just, they want to break the ice and have you meet some local people. And so he went straight into the city with his trainer, Elder Lind, and uh, you know, just talking to some people, you know. And then later, as we got to know each other, we're all the same age at the time, like 18, uh, 19, you know. Elder Lind, his trainer, told me, he's like, yeah, Elder Olson said, you know, um, I, I went up to him after the hour, you know, we're just mingling. He was only a few feet away from him. And he said, did you talk to anybody or say hello to anybody? And like, oh, yeah, I met this guy. He's coming to church. He's got a book Mormon. Uh, Elder Lid said, well, yeah, okay, yeah, well, hopefully, you know, <laughs> sure. don't, you know, don't be too disappointed. Don't get your hopes up. This is totally this is a realist, yeah. From the best two years. This is <laughs> got to manage expectations. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And the best part is he took down my number and said he wanted to call me. My first book of Mormon. <laughs> Already a baptism. Elder, look, don't get your hopes up. You're never going to see that guy again. Yeah, so um, I started meeting uh, with them, and, and there were three or four missionaries. You know, they cycled out a little bit uh, that I had met with, and um, you know, it was maybe it was several months, might have been six months of meeting with them, and a couple of times a week I would come up to the city and and we'd meet um, and talk through it all, and I had endless questions, and some of them they had great answers for, intellectual, spiritual, deep, meaningful funny sometimes answers uh, to my questions. And then sometimes they didn't really have good answers, but I understood I was not very mature, but mature enough to know that, well, I, you know, I shouldn't expect these guys to be able to answer everything. They're, they're here honestly, you know, and they're here sharing what they honestly believe and have experienced, but we're not, the, none of us are theologians. And so there were some things that they, they didn't answer. And I would go to didn't have a computer at the time, went to an internet cafe in Ireland. I would find every criticism of the church I could find, you know, and um, read as much as I could about it and all the, you know, criticisms of the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith and, you know, and the priesthood restriction and all of these things that some of them were difficult things to get your mind around. And, um, and they didn't have great answers for some of that. But, um, but what was important was um, with time, uh, my testimony of it was growing while I didn't even really realize it. You know, uh, I, very often in the faith and the church, people are raised with lingo, with ways of expressing what they're feeling when it comes to spiritual things and, uh, and being trained in it. And I didn't quite have that. I had great parents who taught me to believe in God and pray and, and a wonderful foundation for my life. I got from them and I'm grateful for that. But really, God spoke to me in my own way. Um, and not all of my intellectual, like curiosity questions, well, how does this work in your church? And how does the, how do the mechanics of this and that and the other work? And I didn't have all of those answers, but spiritually, like I did remember praying like they would obviously, I remember being so impressed that they didn't just say, Hey, this is how it is. And you need to believe this. And 
and everyone needs to come around to our way of thinking. It was, hey, they literally said, I do remember uh, one of them saying one day that, look, there's a thousand different messages. You wander streets here, you'll find every crazy idea in the world, you know? Who knows if they're right? You know, who knows if we're right? We're just a couple of guys, you know? And I love that they had the confidence to say that. And then they pointed to the scripture in the end of the Book of Mormon, most people are familiar with it, where it advises you to, Moroni does, to ask of God. Like if you, if you want to do this, ask. And through the Holy Spirit, God can speak to you. If God exists and created us in the universe, surely God has the power to communicate with you in a way that you'll understand. And I thought, I believe that because it's consistent with the Bible. You know, in James, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God gives liberally and seek and you shall find. My mother had always said that, you know, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. And I thought, okay, the message, different words, but it is consistent with the message of the Bible. So I believe that if this was real and important, God could, God has the power and the ability. And if he has the interest, God can communicate this to me. If it's that important, maybe there's just another good church who knows, you know, and, uh, I prayed consistently about that. And then one night I was also working in a pub in the village at the time, Flattery's Pub in Enfield. And uh, I came home one night um, to where I was living in the countryside with my parents. And um, my dad um, taught horticulture at the University of Dublin, you know, for years, he's retired now. And we did a lot of landscaping. And so my dad had landscaped all the, you know, the gardens around the house. And he had built this stone bench up behind the house. And sometimes when it wasn't raining, uh, and I'd come home from work and be the early hours of the morning. I'd, I'd just sit on the bench and I'd pray sometimes. And more often than not, I'd just just listen to the wind blowing through the ash trees and um, what have you. And that night, I wasn't praying. I wasn't making any spectacular effort to communicate with God, but I was quiet and still. And uh, I sat there for I don't know how long. And then very kind of in a moment, I thought, well, intellectually in my mind, and in my heart, in a peaceful way, I'm like, oh, I really, I really think that these big claims that are made by these people are true. That God really exists. That Jesus Christ was more than just, you know, a hippie teacher, you know, uh, of good things that was murdered 2,000 years ago. I really believed some of the miracle claims in the New Testament. And then I thought... Somehow, you know, that this Joseph Smith guy was just a human being who needs the grace of Christ as much as anybody else, me and you and everyone else. But I did believe that, and I still do, that um, in a universe where God exists and where intelligent beings like us exist and have consciousness and have this experience in life, I believe that God speaks with human beings from time to time and that he did interact with this boy and that there was a restoration of primitive Christianity in modern times through him and that the Book of Mormon is, I believe it to genuinely be a historical record and the word of God and, uh, and filled with beautiful teachings. And that this is a beautiful religion, you know, run by and organized by human beings who make all sorts of mistakes all the time and sometimes big mistakes, but that's humanity. And I think I was able to make peace with that. And, and I felt that I, I, in a moment, I felt that this was true. And it didn't mean that all the questions were gone. I'm like, well, how does this work? And what do you think about this was still there, but the core of, is this real? Like, is this really real? Like the most fundamental things, like, is God really there? Is there an intelligence behind the universe? Was Christ really divine? Does God, is he interested in talking with intelligent beings in the universe? And the answer to all that was affirmative. And, uh, and then I, I don't know why I called them in the middle of the night. That wasn't a normal thing to do. You know, <laughs> and I 
all the missionaries, the groggy answer on the other end. And I said, oh, you know, this answer we've been talking about, well, I got it, you know. And uh, Elder Lind was pretty wise. And he, um, he didn't just say, okay, great, let's get another number on the board. Let's get you baptized. You know, he said, well, well, what did you feel? What are you talking about here? You know, was it in your head or what do you, he wanted me to just describe it like really. He wanted to make sure it wasn't the pizza you ate earlier it's, in the day. There you go. There you go. Or, uh, yeah. Pizza yeah. can make you feel really good. It can. <laughs> it can make you feel really bad. So I'm glad that, I'm glad we're getting into this because I feel like a lot of people say, you know, you can't just follow your feelings, mm. you know, and that's what all the Latter-day Saints sure. want you to do. They want to concoct this feeling in you and get you baptized. But, but it sounds like you took this really seriously. I tried to. And it was only when I looked back on that. I remember we were sitting by the canal in the village one day. And I remember kind of sighing and saying to the missionaries, oh, why couldn't you have found me, you know, when I was 70 something, you know, this is hard. I've got to, you know, this has consequences. Like if this is really real, well, then there's responsibility that comes with it and what have you. And so, and I didn't call that testimony or an answer prayer at the time, but slowly, I think my understanding spiritually, intellectually was, was increasing, but I like how, what you said, no, we don't want just the first time you have goosebumps make life-changing decisions. You know, I, I don't think so. I think that um, the promise in the scripture, in the Bible, seek and ye shall find. There's a promise inherent in that is that it's not just a mystery, walk through life and be a good person. But if you seek, there's a promise there that God will share information with an intelligent being. And, uh, and that same promise is in the Book of Mormon. And so I took that very seriously. I'm like, gosh, if that is true, that's mind-blowing. Like, that's a really big deal. But it's a serious thing. And, and like we're told to work it out in our minds, like study it out intellectually and have room for the spirit and be prayerful about it. And, and I really think that it is very important. I think that our faith, a belief in a creator behind the universe, um, specific beliefs in Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then a belief in this restoration of primitive Christianity. I think these things do hold up to intellectual scrutiny. They, they are things that an intelligent, intellectually honest person can believe, but only then the, the keystone of it all is the spiritual aspect. Um, and uh, then I, I had that experience uh, together with, you know, exploring it intellectually and, and morally and emotionally and all, and all of that. And I'm very glad that I had it. That, that was a key part of my life, you know, and, and a lot of what has happened in the 20 or so years since has um, been defined by, by that time and the those experiences. So. Wow. Yeah. I love that you bring up this, this question of, you know, well, we believe in a God. It makes sense that he'd talk to us, right? That he'd communicate with us somehow, right? I did an, a little experiment a while ago because I wanted to know how other religions were teaching people mm. um, how they could come to know that their religions were inspired of God, sure, right? Sure. And so I think I typed into Google, how can I know the Bible is true? And it wasn't until, if I recall correctly, either the very bottom of the first page of Google results, or it might have been on the top of page two. And if you get to page two of the Google results, you are, you're desperate, right? But it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't until then that one of the results said, ask God. Everything before that was just mm. intellectual. Well, the Bible says this, and archaeology corroborates this, and this, and this, and this. Right. We believe in prayer, but it's like people don't believe that God responds to it. Mm. And of course, there are all kinds of challenges that come along with that, understanding how God is communicating with you. But I love 
that you took that seriously in scripture when it says God can tell you, God can mm. give you an answer and he will speak to you in a way that you will understand. That's right. And it'll be very personal to the individual. Like and someone would, you shouldn't wait to have an experience that someone else has had. It might be unique to yourself. But yeah. I, but I do know yeah. that with enough personal effort that, uh, that answer does come. Yeah. Mm. yeah. That's awesome. For those people that are watching our show, um, that are in the middle of that quest that are perhaps reading the book of Mormon and asking God, what advice might you have for them? Wow. Big question. Well, uh, I am very glad that I took time for this. You know, it's a big claim, but if it's true, it's a wonderful and beautiful thing. And I'm really glad that I took the time to have conversations with people that I respected, um, of different faiths, but, but of this faith too. And I would say that I can only say this because I've had this experience myself. There are credible, legitimate, good answers to almost all of the hard questions that people have. And I think if a person hasn't heard them, maybe keep asking or ask somebody else. You know, there, there are intellectually satisfying, spiritual and beautiful answers to the questions that we have. I think ultimately, though, studying it out over time, taking time, taking time to be, be quiet, and, um, and to allow God to speak to us and not dominate the prayer, I think it helped me. But also, prayer is the key to it. I think uh, there are people who try to figure it out on their own, and we can't do it. We're just this tiny little brain in this vast universe, and we can't do it on our own. But the promise is in the Bible. It's in the Book of Mormon. And these things, even if we're skeptical of what they are, they're ancient wisdom, and there's wisdom in that. And I am very confident, I am sure that there's a, loving God behind the universe. And why, why would he not, why would God not speak to his creations and help them on their journey in life? And he's helped me. And I wouldn't say that if I didn't have that experience myself. So that's all I'd say, I suppose. Awesome. Cool. Stephen, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for thank having me. So yeah, it's good to chat with you. Have you ever thought about being a book narrator? Uh, give up the accounting and go do that yeah because it's very soothing and you look like michael fassbender i don't know fassbender i've never heard that one before that's a new one is it just me it might just be well i'll take it i don't even know who that is off the top of my head i'm actor yeah yeah not irish yeah we'll we'll pop it up there anyway steven thank you for being here if people have questions for you is there a way they can contact you gosh um, maybe just in youtube comments yeah yeah comments i'll interact with them let me know when it's up and I'll, i'll do that Sounds good. Guys, thanks for watching. Steven, thanks for being here. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you want to watch our videos, check us out on YouTube or shoot us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.